Welcome to Humanly Possible, a vlog and podcast series focused on the game-changing potential of creating human-centric workplaces. Purposeful play at work is an indicator of productivity, team belonging, and team morale. So why are we not talking more about it? Join me and play experts Jeff Harry and Gary Ware explore play as the special sauce for psychologically safe teams and innovative companies. Jeff and Gary share their perspective of play from the lens of positive psychology and what organizations and leaders can do to create the right environment to enable spaces where flow and play can happen. Gary and Jeff, welcome to Humanly Possible, aka Jerry. We were just talking about how you all have a, uh, a combined name. I love it. Uh, but Gary and Jeff, welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you both. Um, we're going to be talking about play today and a very underrated topic that uh, you two have some expertise in. So just a little bit, like this much. Uh, so let's do introductions. Gary, you go first. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so the the big thing is uh, I'm a professional coach. I'm a facilitator. Um, so that's the professional stuff. Uh, but I, I'm also uh, a son. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a brother. Um, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, like my mission in life is to assist people like yourself um, in teams um, to be more of their self, um, using the power of applied improvisation and what I call purposeful play. And what makes me human is that uh, I, I make mistakes. <laughs> I, 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 to be honest, I really don't know what the heck I'm doing most of the time. Uh, and, and I feel like that makes me human. Same, a true story. I love that, Gary. Thank you. Jeff, tell us who you are, what you do, and what makes you human. What's up? Jeff Harry, uh, Rediscover Your Play. I refer to myself as a workplace positive psychology play whisperer. Love it. I whisper about play and help people rediscover their play. Um, and I also help build uh, psychologically safe workspaces using positive psychology and play. As for what makes me human, just like Gary, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to admit it and then also point out that nobody knows what they're doing. And that is what makes us human when we're willing to actually admit that none of us know what we're doing. And if 2020 taught us anything, even the Brene Browns and the Simon Sinek's don't know either. No one knows. We're just all making it up as we go along. You know, it's, it's so funny you say that because I was like, I was watching the Grammys and I usually don't watch the Grammys or the Oscars, but like, it seems like things are becoming less and less produced, you know, because of like, we're trying to fit into this like remote environment and you don't have audiences and you have to kind of be a little imperfect. And so you watch a show like the Grammys and you're like, huh, people are making mistakes. They're effing up. They're tripping over things. It's just, I don't know. It's beautiful. I think well, it's well, just a beautiful well, state. Well, what, what's interesting about that is I've heard from some people saying there's a reason why there's an exodus from apps like Instagram, because like the age of the influencer is coming to an end and the age of like the creator is appearing. And what they mean by the creator is like 
people that are just making whatever up and they don't care and it's just sloppy and whatever and it's just me because like that perfect facade like people are just done you're just done with that because you know it's just so fake mm. yeah. and you well, can't and it it's a barrier to intimacy and what i mean by intimacy is not like oh hey intimacy but like how can we have an intimate conversation how can we have an intimate relationship how can we feel like we belong and we're connected uh i like to throw random studies and stats out so put on your hard hat it, it just it just shouts out of my mouth at random times uh but they did a study they did a study where they want to know how influential someone uh sounded and they had this uh this gentleman record a you know a talk and what happened at the beginning of the talk he had a a, a cup of coffee and he accidentally spilled it on himself and he's like oh my gosh i am so sorry uh, and then you know he apologized and he did his talk and that was for uh, you know, the live people. Um, and then they did um, uh, two other versions of it. So one, um, they cut off the beginning part. And then the other one, they kept it intact. And then they uh, showed it to two groups of, of people. And they wanted to know, um, how trustworthy does this person, um, you know, sound? How credible? And the surprising thing, and when you hear about studies like this, you know, there's a twist. The people that you know, mistakes and all, when that was in there, they found that person even more trustworthy than the people where that was cut out. Reason being is that when you can feel empathy for someone, your body releases oxytocin, serotonin. Those are the trust hormones, trust and belonging hormones. And that's what makes us human. I love that. And I think it's a perfect segue into this concept of play, right? Because when people are playing, I think, uh, first of all, um, it signifies, it sends a signal of psychological safety, right? Like when I, when I see a team playing or, you know, uh, rifting or bouncing and just being themselves, that's a signal to me for, and as, as an outsider that someone's created a space where that is allowed and there's permission. Um, so maybe Jeff bouncing it back to you, What's the impact of play at work and how does it tie into psychological safety? Well, you can measure psychological safety in a team by seeing how much they laugh. That's like a key indicator right there, right? Or how much they just start joking around, you know? And I refer to play as like, well, the opposite of play is perfection, right? And perfection is like rooted in shame and ego and scared of failing what is play curiosity experimentation failing all the time like just it's messy play is messy um and when you have a psychologically safe workspace you know people are constantly failing they're constantly making mistakes they're constantly joking around but it's just it's part of the the play the experiment part of it if you think of any startup when they first created they were just messing around they were like can I sell books online? You know, can I like make something, a search engine that connects everyone that's better than web crawler? Remember web crawler, everybody? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? So like, you know, so when you have a psychologically safe workspace, what happens? Boosted morale, higher productivity, less turnover, because now people are willing to take risks that they otherwise wouldn't. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who worked for NASA and she would work on, she was working on one of the rovers and she was like, we were designed, we, we went for failure all the time. The whole goal to get this fail as much on earth as possible, because when we sent it 150 million miles away to Mars, 
we wouldn't be able to fail anymore. So like they actually were seeking and celebrating finding all these failures. And the more we can actually do that at work and the more we can bring shared humanity back into the post pandemic workplace, the Mm. more likely you're going to keep your staff. If you do the same thing you did pre pandemic, you're done. Like you're the next blockbuster. Everyone's leaving in my opinion. Yeah. And you you bring up a good point is, um, this is a, a way to um, think about how we restructure uh, the traditional workplace, dismantle it a little bit, really. I mean, restructure is such a, a kind word. I'd say dismantle. Dismantle it, dismantle it. <laughs> Tear it apart. Uh, Gary, I have a question for you because um, I was having, after our clubhouse conversation, I've been on this, this high talking about play um, because it, it was so intriguing to me. Um, are there people who don't like to play? Like, is there, do, like, um, innately, are there groups of people who prefer not to play? Uh, yes and no. So play is one of those things that we're all wired to do. We're all wired for play. It is how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we connect. And and I would like to say, like, it's it's mostly like in in cultures like in the u.s Mm. we've grown to put play into this box that is very singular like sports play or it's seen as goofing off and when if that's the only definition you have for play if that doesn't fit your personality then you're going to say you don't like to play Um, as dr stuart brown um, said in his book play how uh, play shapes the world and in our minds and stuff like that he said that there are at least seven different play personalities. And this is, you know, if you look at plays, play is doing something for the sake of doing it. Um, if you are a programmer and you love digging into code and it like, it gets you all excited, just finding bugs and, 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 and creating lines of code, you're playing. Um, so we are all wired for play. The people that say that they don't play, um, probably they've, probably had some play shame you know they probably got shamed for for playing and so they don't do it or they see uh play as one facet of playing and they need to look what do you think jeff oh yeah i mean i define i define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment where they where there's no purpose there is no result you forget about time right like there's no anxiety about the future there's no regrets about the past we're just like fully in flow and like people are in flow all the time. You know, companies love flow. They hate play. They don't want to talk about play at all. They think it's stupid. But when you're like, hey, is, do you get your staff in flow? And they're like, what? Wait, five times more productive when they're in flow? How do I do that? You know? So right. when I'm always talking to team leaders, I'm like, what is your staff's flow work? And they're like, well, and I'm like, they're zone of genius. The thing where they, you know, forget about time, where, yeah. where if, if no one was paying them, they would still do this job. And they're like, I don't know. Well, we'll go find that out. <laughs> like, because if you do find that out and you recognize, oh, what percentage of time do you do that flow work? Only 10% of that time. Can we increase that to 15 or 20%? By doing that, not only are they going to be more productive because all of their other work is going to be high, higher, highly productive because now they're like into it, but also they sh- it shows that you see them and their humanity and who they are and you're like invested in them and they're less likely to leave. So like, yes, a lot of people don't like talking about play, but everyone is actually playing 
when they're in flow. They just need to own what that looks like for them. Yeah, can I add one thing to that, if you don't mind? Please, yeah, um, absolutely. And there has actually been data um, to back this up. Um, there's an amazing book um, called uh, Prime to Perform. And it was uh, written by researchers Lindsay McGregor and Neil Dosey. Uh, so the book is Prime to Perform, How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of Total Motivation. Mm -hmm. And they looked at what are the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation you know, that's aligned with work. And they found that the extrinsic motivation, so that's um, economic pressure, um, emotional pressure. So economic pressure, it's, it's around like not losing money, uh, I, you know, not being able to pay the bills or bonuses and emotional pressure. Oh, I don't want to make a mistake or inertia. I've been here because I've been here. That helps to optimize tactical performance. So like just doing your job. Uh, but there's the intrinsic uh, motivators and that is play, purpose and potential. Mm -hmm. um, and they found that if you can see your work as play, exactly what Jeff said, you can get into like, you see the work, it's solving problems, it's getting to the flow, you're going to be 30%, 30% more productive. Uh, companies are going to be that much more profitable um, as a result of optimizing for that. And when situations like, um, I don't know, a global pandemic shows up, they're able to adapt. So when you optimize for the intrinsic motivators, play, purpose, potential, you develop teams that can adapt and we all need that. And, you know, like Jeff said, you know, we don't go in and say, oh, hey, uh, we want to play with your teams. We go and say, well, you know, tell us, is innovation important? Is, is productivity important? Is your bottom line important? All right, cool. We got something for you. And <laughs> we won't tell them that. We'll call it flow, right, Jeff? Exactly. We're gonna we're gonna flow with your team. Like hope running you don't around, mind. acting like children, then you're like, "What? This is so much fun!" It's play, people. <laughs> You've been doing it forever. Just admit it. It just You've admit just it. You've been hiding your inner child for a really long time. Well, I love. The, I mean, I love the idea of flow. I mean, flow does have a bit of a like a feeling too. Like you can you know what it feels like when you say flow. Like you you can instantly think about a time I was in flow here. Um, and so what can, I wanna kind of go to leadership and the organization because obviously I think individually you can, you can um, self-regulate yourself and say, you know what, I'm gonna give myself time to play or to uh, give myself some, I call it brain space. Like you need time to, to actually think and to actually get creative. What can organizations or leaders do? We'll start with you, Jeff, um, to create the right systems to to enable spaces where flow can happen and play can happen. Yeah, well, I think it all starts with psychological safety. Like, let's not force people to have fun. You know, I, I, I kind of left, you know, I did team building for like 10 years, you know, and there's a point where it's just like, you can't force people if they haven't built trust with each other. If you don't like Chad, you being put in a room. Nobody likes Chad. You know, yeah, and then you have to be put in escape from the room with Chad. Oh, come on! Like we're gonna what? We're gonna be all happy after this? Come on! I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know. Uh, so I'm gonna leave Chad in the room. I'm gonna leave Chad in the escape from the room. That's what I'm gonna do. So how are you building psychological safety? So I, I, whenever I'm talking to an organization, I first say, hey, you know, 
Uh, Stephen Johnson says this quote. I, we learned this from Kevin Carroll. Uh, it's a person that Gary and I really enjoy. He's an amazing, amazing play mentor. Um, but he, Stephen Johnson says the future is where people are having the most fun, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what organizations were having the most fun in 2020? What were the most adaptable ones? TikTok, Clubhouse, Hulu, Disney Plus, adapting, resilient, making mistakes, all that stuff. So if you haven't first created that, psychologically safe space, you can't do that. So how do you create that? First, understand your staff. Why are they there? Do you even know why they're there? You know, second, do you know what flow work that they actually do? Third, do you know their language of appreciation? How do they like, how do you, they like to receive? Oh, you like, oh, they like quality time. Awesome. Take them to lunch every two weeks. Oh, they like gifts. They like bonuses. Take that same bonus they were going to get, spread it out over the year. Shows that you're more productive throughout the year. Oh, they like acts of service. You know, something's going on at home. Take their workload on a Friday. Let them go home early. When you're doing stuff like that, then you're building psychological safety so that you're setting up the, um, the playground for people to start trying stuff. And then after you've built that, then you can be the next time you go into a meeting, be like, look, we always do, we always approach this project the same way. I don't want to anymore. I want to give you the freedom to tackle this project differently. And, and if you need a win or an example of this, look at the Google 20% pro program or the 20% rule. They gave their staff a fifth of their time to pursue whatever they thought was curious to them as long as it benefited the organization, right? As long as it benefited Google. What came from that? AdSense that pays the bills, Gmail, which we all use, and Google Meet, which some of us use. But, you know, like the fact is, is like, yo, it works. Like it's worked over and over again. So we have to figure out how do we create that playground. And, and I recommend going through some of those steps. Yeah, and if I can add to that, um, Angela, you, you hit the nail in the head when you said um, environment, mm -hmm. because when you were in the beginning, like, yes, we know how to self-regulate and stuff like that. In Intrinsically, we do. However, if we're in an environment that does not support that, we're going to go against our own common sense. We're going to overwork ourselves. Uh, we are going to uh, be uber competitive. Like, we're not going to be adaptive because, again, we're going to be scared that we're going to be um, and uh, there was a um, Harvard Business Review uh, article that was talking about um, why organizations don't learn. And essentially, it's because they're not playing. But these are the characteristics. And this is like, I'm going to tell you about them. And you're like, as you're listening, you're going to realize like, oh, that's like most organizations. Um, and but the environment that they're creating are essentially areas to play. Uh, the first one is they have a bias towards success, which means they're creating a culture that has a feel, fear of failure. As Jeff eloquently put, failure and messiness is part of play. It leads to innovation. The next one is they have a bias towards action. You have to be working at all times. How many hours are you clocking in? Um, which means they have lack of reflection time. When does creativity hit? When you're not doing the dang thing. Right. You know, are you, and then how does burnout happen? Because you're always working. The other one is uh, they have a bias towards fitting in and that creates um, a need to conform. Um, you know, we were talking about this in our clubhouse room uh, about uh, code switching, you know, being people of color, um, having to, you know, 
uh, navigate these uh, environments and having to talk a certain way and being a certain way. So if an organization has a bias towards fitting in, and again, a lot of these are unspoken rules. No one came up, handed you your HR pack and, um, and said, guess what? We all have to do a certain way. It's the environment. It's that unspoken thing. And then the last one, and this is the big one, is they have a bias towards the expert mm. and having to be having to be seen as the expert. And the interesting thing uh, is that when I was at an organization, I Gary, you're really smart, and we want to win out. Confuse the hell out of them with your smartness. Um, and again, that was it. Like the I, I get what they're trying to go with of like, yeah, we want to be seen smart. So if we're seen smart, they will, you know, it's that credibility, but. The thing is that when you have a bias towards expert, you have a narrow view of expertise because you're not willing to play and, and learn something else. Because if you're not going to be seen as an expert, why go there? So anyways, I just want to leave it at that. And those are anti-play things. Those are barriers to play by having those biases. Yeah, and I think um, uh, there's also, um, you know, when I think about leadership in particular, obviously they're going to set the tone. Um, there's role modeling that, it needs to happen, right? So nobody's going to, I, I think, and I, I just posted something about this. I think leadership is taken for, when, when you are a leader, you take it for granted that you're being watched always. And so you have to set the tone um, and also do the things that, the type of culture, the type of environment that you're trying to build within your team. So I think that can't be taken for granted either. Is there such a role to play with leadership? Yeah, and, and Gary brings up a really good point too. Like what we do in a lot of our workshops is we practice. If you think about work, like, you know, in a football game, they have football on Sunday. They practice all week for three hour, for a three hour game. That's it. But at work, no practice. No practice on how to navigate difficult conversations. No practice on how to mediate. No practice on how to be a manager. How many managers do you know that got promoted because the last job they did well, and now they're in this other job with no training besides maybe a webinar and maybe like a retreat once in a while. So like, they're just, we're just kind of like winging it, right? And this is like, this is why it has to be dismantled the way it is. And then I, I'm very passionate about the eight hour work day right? Like, where did the eight hour workday come from? You know, you know, I found out recently, it was it was invented by this guy named Robert Owen in 1817, 1817, and then not implemented in the US till 1926 by Henry Ford, because he had to because he was killing his workers on the assembly line. But since 1926, 94 years, 95 now years, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Yet studies have found that most staff can only work, do deep work for two hours and 51 minutes of the day. Yet our workday is now 8.8 .8 hours. So it's like, what are people doing for 5.8 hours? Stupid meetings, <laughs> emails, and when they were in the office, like going to coffee, getting back from coffee, going to lunch, getting back. We're just killing time. So mm -hmm. even though America works so much, we're not, we're doing a lot of needless jobs. There's a lot of BS jobs out there. There's even a book called BS Jobs. That's hilarious because you'll find out that a lot of middle management jobs shouldn't even exist. So like we really have to look at, you know, if I could only get, as a team leader, if I can only get my staff to work for three to four really good hours of the day, what is the work that I want them to do? Their flow work, because that's the work that's probably gonna bring us the most amount of revenue. 
Yeah, well, I think what I'm hearing from you is, um, I, I love this. I've been on this crusade. This could be a whole other podcast, by the way, but less, less more quality leaders. Um, we need to create uh, paths for people and cut, cut the idea that you have to become a leader um, to rise the ranks, right? Because I think we've created that in our society. And then creating space for people. So um, I just want to kind of, Gary, if you could kind of take us home here, we've got about a minute and 30 seconds left. Um, uh, tell us what else we need to know about play before we, we head out. I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of great things around psychological safety, authenticity, creating space for flow. What's one other thing uh, just to close us out? Well, this is the main thing, is that because you're not good at it, you're probably not going to want to do it. So my invite to you is if what you heard sounds appealing, test it out. Hmm. Take one little thing that we did and be intentional about it and see how you feel. See, see the results of it. And if you like it, this is my invite to you. How can you be more of a play rebel and start to rebel against the status quo and add that into your day to day? I love it. Beautiful recap to this conversation. Gary, Jeff, Jerry, uh, thank you so much for joining. You both were wonderful. Love this conversation and hope to continue it. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah.